are tuned in to The Go Show, the official podcast of Andy Go, owner and founder of Gojo Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm your host, Andy Go. You could be listening to any podcast in the world, but you're right here with me, and I appreciate that. This is Andy Go. This is the Go Show, the official podcast of myself and Go Joe Studios. So thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're not familiar with that sound that I'm kicking the show off with, then uh, I really want to know who you are and how you found me and what planet you've been living on uh, to where you haven't heard these chants, you haven't heard about George Floyd, you haven't heard about uh, the protests that now have extended for over a week as following the death of not only George Floyd, but Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and a almost seemingly endless list of names of victims of police brutality. And in that week, it's, uh, well, it's been quite a time. Uh, there's been an endless stream of news and images and, uh, you know, many of them quite disturbing, really, um, of protests and the clash between uh, police and protesters all across the nation, not just here in Charlotte, of course, but uh, everywhere around the country, it seems like. So now I myself was out marching with many of the protesters over the past week. And on today's episode of The Go Show, I'm going to talk about some of the observations I had while marching with the protesters, as well as playing a few sounds that we heard uh, from some of the rally, too. And then at the end of the podcast, I'm going to talk about how I've been reflecting on all of the past week's events, uh, the meanings behind them and thoughts behind them and where I fit in, where I see myself fitting in, in this discussion as well. So um, definitely stick around. It's going to be a great show. Let's go ahead and get to it. All right. Well, the first thing that I want to do is talk about some of the observations I had while marching with protesters over this week. Now, I was out Sunday afternoon, Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening and Thursday evening as well. Now, Tuesday evening, if you'll recall, was when uh, the infamous kettling incident happened that was streamed live on Queen City Nerves uh, Facebook feed. And that was probably, I think, the highlight signature, most scary moment, certainly for a lot of people, uh, a very dangerous moment for a lot of people. And it was caught on video. Um, I wasn't there for that. I wasn't anywhere near for that. I had left by then because I knew that right about then that's when stuff tended to go down. And I think after I saw that, I, you know, after I witnessed the videos and and really saw how they were pinned in from three sides and being fired on from above, I, I was pretty angry about that. I was pretty angry about that uh, in, in just a lot of different ways. So uh, Wednesday and Thursday, uh, I knew I needed to be down there to uh, just be part of the strength in numbers, in essence. You know, I'm not going to these things to 
uh, yell obscenities and uh, you know, or certainly not <laughs> engage in any violence, throw uh, box and, uh, uh, you know, rocks and bottles and stuff like that. I want to be there to be strength in numbers to show that this is something that I believe in. This is something I stand for. And I'm going to stand alongside those who are also fighting for this cause as well. So, you know, that's my main motivation. And the other thing I'm going to say real quick, too, is I didn't do a very good job of <laughs> of documenting any of this stuff, which I'm really kind of upset right now because I, I, I should have a lot more material here for this podcast for you, but I don't. So. Uh, I'm sorry, and uh, I will get that planned out better in the future. Anyway, my first observation, uh, really, and and by the way, I'm not going to talk about anything we've already talked about, like the CMPD's responses to the criticisms or anything like that. There's a million different places where you can hear all that. Uh, I, I've just got a few thoughts that uh, I, I think I have personally. The first one is is that the first couple of days of protest, especially Friday, uh, last Friday, uh, June, uh, what the fifth now, I believe, no, or no, uh, May, May this June 5th is today. Sorry. Uh, whatever last uh, May was anyway, that was on Beatty's Ford. That was suspicious. And I think a lot of the organizing community that I, that I know, uh, felt that that was suspicious in a lot of ways because of, the, uh, because of outside agitators, because of, you know, uh, anarchists, uh, people who want to take advantage of the moment to cause chaos. And it seemed like that that was probably the case around the country as well. So I, I, I think that there was something to that with people coming in from out of town and, 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 and instigating and, and, and breaking property and things like that to make this, this look like more of a violent situation than what it really was. And I think that theory is probably borne out in the fact that you know, I'm recording this again uh, here today, Friday, June 5th, uh, same day this is publishing. And so we are now, well, seven full days of protest into this, seven full days of protest into this. Most protests that I've ever seen and been a part of, and I think the largest, most significant protest I've I've witnessed personally was, of course, Keith Lamont Scott's protest that happened in September of 2016. Uh, that of course left uh, a man, Justin Carr, dead in the street, uh, and 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 was certainly a very traumatic moment for the city in a lot of different ways. But even with that trauma, the energy of the protests really had burned out by day three or day four. It was it was essentially done. You know, we're seven days deep into having thousands of pe- people march. Uh, through the streets of Uptown, through the streets of Myers Park, uh, and and peacefully protest uh, what they view are, are, are serious injustices. And I think you haven't seen any destruction, uh, any property damage or anything like that because the uh, bad actors that were there in the first place, they don't have the skin in the game that actual protesters do. Right. They don't they're not affected as deeply by the causes that these protesters are protesting against to be out here seven straight nights risking whatever it is they're risking uh, to damage property and everything else. They got their one or two nights in. That's all they were here for. And ever since you have seen no sign, no real sign of uh, protesters being violent, being overly aggressive, being uh, destructive or anything like that. And, and I firmly believe that would have been the case no matter what, uh, even with some of those, uh, without those bad actors present, I should say. 
Another thing that I'm curious about, and, and I'm going to preface this by saying this is pure speculation. I have no idea whether or not any of this is correlated, uh, but I would really have to think so, is that with the pandemic, with COVID-19 having uh, really resulted in, of course, uh, historic, I'm not even sure there's a really good adjective to descri- describe the unemployment uh, spike. Again, there's no word I feel that really does it justice uh, that we've had since the pandemic happens. So I have to believe that there is a greater number of people out in the streets that are able to devote their time and energy to causes like this one because they're not working as much as they once were. Um, And not only that, but that means that they may not have money. They may not have health insurance. This really is you know, maybe a last resort for a lot of people to take the streets and demonstrate like this. And without that nine to five lifestyle or that 40 hour work week that is required out of most people, then there is more time to devote to causes like these. There is more time to be able uh, to get out, make your voice heard, march, protest and get involved. So I want to believe that that's what's happening. I want to believe that there's a lot of people out there that are hurting by uh, not only the pandemic, but of course, all the systemic injustices that uh, have left a, a certain segment of our population is dis- disenfranchised. I have to believe that this is all playing into people's ability to protest. And of course, I would say the almost unbridled passion that we've seen from protests in the past week. Another observation that I really want to make here, too, is uh, the undeniable effect that the coverage, the live streaming coverage that Queen City Nerve has had on this situation in an acute and timely response. Um, Of course, if you're listening to this, then you're probably familiar with uh, Queen City Nerve and their coverage of these protests, which has been uh, nothing short of heroic and uh, and thorough and uh, incredibly informative. Um, so Justin LaFrancois is the you know uh, publisher of Queen City Nerve. He's he's not a journalist trained by uh, by nature, um, but he went out. Of course, he's been out every single week, every single night this week, uh, live streaming on Facebook. Has to have sixty some hours of footage. I don't know. I I would be shocked to know what his pedometer looks like at this point. Um, But he's captured all the key moments, all all the uh, talks with city representatives and everything else. And they have done such a great job of of doing this that I really believe that it, it affected the police's response, particularly after that Tuesday night uh, incident that led to the uh, the kettling episode. Uh, that video was very widely viewed. I don't think there's anybody in the city that uh, that is aware of this situation that hasn't seen it. And 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 particularly the people in the police department in city county government, they've all seen it. And you can see the effects of what that coverage, what that raw live coverage did to them. Because I mean. Just last night, Thursday night, they had their own live stream going. CMPD, CMPD did, and uh, they had uh, uh, their PR guy, who I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, and I don't want to screw it up. But he and Justin live stream battled. <laughs> it was it was almost kind of like those uh, Instagram versus battles, but like in real time and you know face to face. 
Um, but that, uh, that sh- never would have happened. That whole in exchange, which if you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube, go to queen city nerve, check it out. It is, uh, one of the most incredible exchanges I've ever seen. And not just for the exchange itself, because Justin, again, a guy who is not a trained journalist by nature, he, he he's worked in the restaurant industry most of his life. Um, he comes up, stands toe to toe with, uh, you know, a guy who, you know, is trained to deal with the media, trained to deal with these situations. And he doesn't back down an inch. And, uh, he asks them all the, the right questions and you can see, um, how it's affected the CMPD's response and the CMPD response, not only, you know, for him personally, but it's reflected in the tactics that they used after Tuesday night. Uh, I was out Wednesday, Thursday, uh, well after 9 p.m. and uh, out, out well after dark. And there were no instances that were anywhere near the level of, of what happened there. And in fact, the police were considerably further back than they had been any time before. And again, I have to really believe that that is a direct result of what Justin uh, did with his live stream. And of course, shout out Ryan Pitkin, my roommate, actually, I, I live with Ryan and, and, um, you know, I don't want to speak for them real, you know, uh, at, at all, but I, you know, know that they are so appreciative of all the, uh, the praise that they're getting right now, which of course they certainly deserve. And they, uh, you know, I get to talk to P and, and Justin sometimes here at the crib after, uh, after some of these nights and, uh, they are incredibly appreciative and uh, thankful for everybody's uh, praise and that they are, they are well aware of what they're doing here and, and what it means to do this work. And that really is, I would say the pinnacle, the highest calling of a journalist is, is what they're doing right now, which is to provide fair and as objective as you possibly can be. True objectivity is, is, is a fantasy, but as objective of coverage as you possibly can that shows what's actually happening and forces the discussion to the point that real changes are made. And that's exactly what we're seeing playing out here uh, with our police department in real time, and thanks overwhelmingly to the efforts of Justin Ryan and the Queen City Nerve team. So I got to shout them out for that because uh, that what they're doing right now, that ideal of 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 helping to shape democracy by providing the public with information, is something that um, is, is something that a lot of journalists have died for, and. And, and for them to have that effect, I, I, I just can't talk. I just can't even express how proud I am of them. So shout out P, shout out Justin, uh, Queen City Nerve, keep doing your thing. All right, I got a couple of audio clips here that I want to share with you guys now. Like I said before, I did a horrible job of... Uh, you know, documenting the protests. I, um, you know, was trying to be more present in the moment and uh, especially, you know, some of the nights when it was, uh, you know, your safety was kind of uh, um, dependent on you being in the moment. Uh, And also, of course, there's plenty of other uh, video and audio out there. Um, But I do have a few pieces of audio. And this first one I want to play is actually from uh, 
from Wednesday night. And this is when uh, protesters were trying to get onto 277 and, of course, the uh, uh, or actually 74. Yeah. Independence. Uh, and, you know, of course, police are blocking them and they'd thrown they'd actually thrown, a t- you know, just a one flashbang at this point, cleared the crowd out. And then this is when. OK, so here's what's happening. The bike cops, again, are are, are all lined up and they're all like. Pushing the line back, pushing the line back, which, you know, is, you know, of course, a you know, whatever kind of tactic. But it cracks me up to hear them actually like do the chant and like do the um, moving uh, forward thing from the phalanx thing from uh, 300. It looks like a bad impression of 300. So to me, <laughs> so to me, that just uh, cracks me up. It's like you know, a lot of the stuff that the you know police do is is pretty intimidating for the most part. I mean, they're they're geared up and they've got you know they're in numbers, but this little thing that they do is not so much intimidating, and it actually kind of cracked me up. Um, actually, reminds me of the start of of that song. Um, oh gosh, what is it called? Uh, uh, Blue suede, hooked on a feeling. Hooked on a feeling. So the beginning of that song goes ooga chaka, ooga chaka, and and that's exactly what it felt like the CMPD was doing in that moment. So I don't know, maybe maybe I should be more aware of the fact that it could be a, a possibly hazardous situation. But that's what was running through my mind. So anyway. Uh, so the next clip here, I'm going to show, uh, this, I, I got to give a little context to this next clip because it's not going to make sense. Otherwise it's too short and it, it kind of got cut off, but, um, let me put, give some context. Uh, this was from Thursday night when, uh, I was marching in the, uh, back of the line, uh, with the protesters and, uh, Thursday night, there was an organized effort to keep white people in the back of the line of the protests. And of course, the thinking behind this is that white people are less likely to be fired upon or teared gassed or whatever. So it is a physical barrier between the back of the protest and the police. So um, I was marching in the back there. Now, uh, quick, (laughs) quick uh, side note, I uh, don't consider myself fully white, but I do pass for white quite easily. So rather than bicker about, uh, you know, uh, uh, semantics here, I'm just going to do my part and, and march with the white people anyway. So, uh, in the back of the line, there are, there's an organizer who's keeping the line moving. And, uh, you know, I tried to, in this little clip right here, actually capture some of what he was saying to, uh, the white line as it were all the white people in the back a lot of whom who you know may not have ever protested before maybe new to organizing there is certainly a big etiquette towards uh towards these things it's a lot more than just marching yelling and of course throwing stuff uh it's the first two things it's not the last thing but there is an etiquette particularly for white people in this work so uh the the clip here is is the guy who is speaking to us and and just giving us a little bit of uh advice about how we need to approach this so you can listen for this clip protester all the way to their house tonight we don't get to escalate this shit unless we are asked and of course what he's saying there is that white people don't 
need to be extra with what they're doing at a protest because of course if something goes down then the white people probably aren't going to be the ones that are going to be cuffed beaten etc and all the black people are going to be the ones looking at looked at as looters and rioters and such so they're at a much greater danger so essentially don't write a check that your butt cannot cash is what he's saying uh he talked later he's a licensed mental health professional uh, and he seems like a great guy. I hope, hopefully I can get to know that guy later because I'd love to talk to him. But, um, I, I play that clip again to kind of show that there is a lot of organizing that goes into organizing. And while that may sound silly, a lot of people may not be aware of all the work and all the preparation that goes into organizing. So, and I by no means consider myself an expert or even an intermediately uh, informed person when it comes to organizing. Um, and that is something I do pledge to inform myself more about uh, in the coming days, months, weeks, and years. What you're hearing now is from right outside the jail in Uptown. All of the inmates are at their windows and flicking their lights and, you know, holding their fists up in the air. And that's what the crowd is cheering for. And this really is a moment that, you know, for me, it honestly gives me chills because uh, it's uh, a sad thing to think about on just a purely human level about all the people that spend every day in that building in tiny cells and those windows that we're looking out of that, that we can actually see those people through those tiny windows. I mean, they can't be much bigger than a vinyl record. They're, they're not big windows and they have two big bars in the middle of them taking up most of that space as well. So it's tough again on a human level to think about the people that are spending time in there that um, may have been discriminated against, against the system that people are protesting against uh, that, wants to keep them in jail after they've been released and make it tougher on them to vote and return to, you know, a, a normal citizen life. That again is what people are protesting against is, is, is the system that doesn't correct anybody that doesn't help anybody that keeps people down that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling of, of, of being suffocated in a metaphorical and literal sense for Centuries now is what people are protesting, and that's what you're hearing in these people's cheers. All right, last thing that I want to talk about uh, on the podcast today is definitely a personal one, and it's really my own reconciliation with racism and the racist thoughts, ideas, and things that I've said in my own past. Um, I recognize that there's things that I have done or said in the past that are absolutely racist. You know, I cringe when I think about some of the jokes that, you know, I used to tell with my friends back in high school and college that uh, were racially motivated, that were just laughs at the time. But when I think about 
you know, the stereotypes that were reinforced and the, and, and the dehumanization um, that was casually thrown about. It, it really does make me sick uh, to my stomach. I think about how much hip hop I've listened to throughout my life where I have casually sung along to lyrics, including the N word. I remember having a phase where I argued if they can say it, why can't I? Um, all of those things, uh, you know, they made sense at the time, but it doesn't matter how young I was. It doesn't matter what environment that I grew up in. It's, it's nothing that can be excused. It's nothing that can be excused. Now, I do believe that nature has a lot to do with racist tendencies. We, I believe that we are not born with racist hatred in our hearts or even just small micro racist thoughts. Um, I think those are learned by our environment greatly. And so while upbringings or environment does have something to do with it, it doesn't excuse the fact that it happened. Now, I don't believe that racism is a binary thing. I don't think that either you're 100% racist or you're 0% racist. I think that everybody has some degree of racial prejudice in them. Now, those degrees might be wildly varying, but I don't believe anybody is completely pure or completely evil. I believe that in order to be the best version of ourselves, we must recognize and acknowledge these thoughts and behaviors so that we may better be in control of them. Just like urges for violence or theft or lust. These are thoughts that enter our head because we are human. We make mistakes and we are flawed, but the best versions of ourselves are able to overcome that. They're able to recognize when those thoughts are present and they're able to control them instead of being controlled by them. And I think that is the greatest thing that I can strive for and I hope that everybody else can strive for. I always believe in being trying to be the best version of myself, knowing that perfection will never be attainable. And that's what I always want and wish for everybody else um, in my life, too. So that's how I reconcile with where I've been in this racial divide and how I can guide myself towards the change that I want to create. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode. You know, these uh, episodes are really uh, coming uh, from the heart and they're not uh, scripted or, you know, overly prepared. I'm really trying to take uh, what I feel here in the moment and put it out there uh, for everybody to listen. And before I get out of here, I do want to extend this offer to any of my listeners, anybody at all, really. If you want to have a confidential, sincere and non-judgmental talk about race, privilege, allyship, or anything at all, I'm extending my ear to you. Uh, if you want to 
DM me if you're on social media or email me, andy at gojo.com. I'll uh, set aside some time to chat with you on the phone or on Zoom. And, you know, you can tell me, you know, if you've been afraid to talk about this stuff before, if you haven't really known how to talk about it, uh, what language to use. If, if you're somebody who wants to be an ally but doesn't know where to start, uh, I, I assure you that I promise I don't have all the answers, but uh, I know a little bit uh, or at least enough to get myself started. So hopefully I can share that with you as well. So, you know, if that's something that you're looking to incorporate more of in your life and that is, I think, something we should all uh, try try to make a point of, of prioritizing, then reach out, let's talk and and let's make something happen. All right. Uh, Thanks again for listening to The Go Show, everybody. My name's Andy. Drive home safe. Be great every day. And tell your loved ones that you love them. I'm out. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to The Go Show. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and subscribe to The Go Show on your podcast platform of choice. Give us an honest rating and a review. It really helps the podcast appear in other people's feeds and searches. Follow me personally on Twitter at Andy Go and on Instagram at The Gojo. You can find Gojo Studios on both platforms at Gojo Studios. Shoot me your comments and questions about today's episode or what you want to see in a future episode to Andy at Gojo.com. Finally, check out gojostudios.com for all the latest. The Go Show is created, written, recorded, edited, mixed, mastered, produced, and promoted by Andy Go of Gojo Studios. Music by Harvey Cummings.